uh, this event that happened to me a long time ago came to my mind. I used to be in the ambulance service, some of you, used to, some of you know that, um, many years ago. And, and I remember uh, one day, it was either late at night or the early hours of the morning, uh, the guy that I worked with was also a Christian, actually. And we'd just taken this, uh, this person into the Royal Brisbane Hospital. We'd gone through triage and we were just walking, wheeling the stretcher around into the resus area of RBH. And um, as we went past a little waiting area, there's a huge big waiting area at one part of the hospital, and where we went, there was another little waiting area, and on the chair, my eye just caught someone sitting there. And it was a girl probably in her late teens, early 20s, and she was sitting on her own. And as we walked past that, it was as if God instantly said to me, I want you to speak to her. And I thought, well, well I was uneasy about that uh, for a number of reasons, which I'll explain in a minute. Anyway, we delivered the, uh, the patient to, uh, to the hospital and uh, while I was there, I'm thinking, Lord, uh, is that really you saying that to me? I'm saying things like, did you, did you see what she looked like? And, uh, and then I said, well, Lord, if she's there, if she's there and she's on her own, when I go back, I'll speak to her. I didn't have a clue what I would say to this girl. So anyway, um, on the way back out of uh, the hospital... Um, was she, do you think she was still there? Yes, she was. Was she sitting on her own? Yes, she was. Did she look like any other 18, 20-year-old? No, she didn't. Uh, this girl, um, I just explained briefly, I remember distinctly her hair. This side of her hair was bright orange. This part of her hair was bright green. Uh, she had piercings all over her face. Back then I looked at her and I thought, someone's got it wrong with you, sweetie, because you've got an earring in your nose. There's an earring there. And there was studs here. And she just liked this. And anyway, and I don't know whether there was tattoos or anything else on her. And I walked past and as I walked up to her, I just sensed, right, I've got to do this. So what I did, and I've never done this before, not that I can remember. What I did, I just simply... But leaned over like that while she was sitting she was sitting on the chair directly in front of me with her head bowed and then she knew I was there so I'm doing this just looking at her and she lifts up her eyes and looks at me and while she looked at me I just simply said these words simple words I just simply said did you know that Jesus loves you and you know when I said those words to her without any exaggeration her jaw dropped like that Eyes went like that, jaw dropped, and she looked at me intently, which seemed to be a long time, but it was only a few seconds. And I looked intently back at her, not, this is no joke, and she was probably waiting for me to do something. No, no joke. And I just did like that. And uh, I can remember her response. When she composed herself, she looked back at me, and in a kind of a low, cold, hurtful voice, she said to me, he hates my guts. And immediately I said to her, that is not true. He loves you and he died on the cross for you. And that's really all I can remember saying to this girl. It's as simple as that. Said nothing else to her. And uh, I walked out. Um, and that was, that was about it. Uh, <laughs> Um, I, I would love to be able to say that uh, after that she, you know, God convicted her and she fell down on her knees and she asked Christ to come into her life. Well, that never happened. That never happened. It would have been lovely to see that, but that simply didn't happen. 
uh, what happened was a little bit bizarre because um, for whatever reason, still don't know today, uh, we happened to be up there, I was on a day shift the next day and uh, my partner and I, we, we brought another patient into the Royal Brisbane Hospital and uh, as we drove into the ambulance bay, I saw this same girl. This time, she had two big burly security guards, one on each side, marching her forcefully against her will back into the hospital. So I don't know what happened, <clears throat> whether something of the Spirit of God stirred up her, her heart. Uh, I don't know. It's not my business to know. Uh, all I know is that God laid that burden on my heart and I'm so glad he gave me the courage to go through with it because that was the last time I saw her. I don't know where she is today. I don't know. That's God's business. But, you know, what's the point of that, of that story? The point is this that I wanted to make is that um, I, I wouldn't normally do that. I, I wouldn't normally... I was in my early 30s back then and, you know, I wouldn't normally stop and, and, and speak to strange teenage girls. That's probably not the done thing you know and I certainly wouldn't do it today as far as I would know I can't say that but having said that you know Jesus does I might feel no I can't do that but Jesus does do this Jesus does speak to strange people and I use the word strange in a way that I'm looking out over you bunch you look kind of normal most of you do look normal you know, Jesus speaks to the ones who don't look normal, whatever normal might be. You know, he's, he's, he has no problem in crossing cultural boundaries or any other man-made obstacles to reach out, to reach out to a, a dying humanity with his love and with his salvation. Jesus went to the cross and he doesn't mind who he talks to. And in this passage, and he talks through you and me, of course, through us. In this passage that was just read to us, we see the evidence of this too, don't we? Ever so clearly. Because here in Jesus' day, there in, in Jesus' day, um, there were people, uh, including his disciples, who thought it strange, uh, not culturally appropriate for him to be sitting at a well in the middle of the day, the sixth hour, and talking to a Samaritan woman. That was strange. You just don't go there. You don't do that. Well, here was Jesus doing exactly that. And this is how Jesus did evangelism. And I believe this is how he does it today. He went. First, let me, just, let me share some points with you. How does Jesus do this? Well, firstly... When we look at this passage, we see some things very clearly. Firstly, we see that in total obedience, I believe Jesus' mission was a mission of submission to the Father. And in total obedience to him and to the will of God, Jesus went to where this woman was. He went to where she was. You see, you, you, you probably wouldn't see her in the temple. Jesus went to where she was. Look at these verses of Scripture. Verse 4 from, that, uh, from chapter 4. Now he, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, or Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, he sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. 
when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Last week, you might remember, hope you did, that we spoke about um, being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And the point, I guess, of the salt and the light is this. The point of, of being salt is that it's only effective when it's removed from its container and sprinkled over those things that would otherwise rot and decay. And the earth, and I'm sure no one will disagree with this, the earth and the world is in that place of rot and decay right now. That's why you and I are here as the salt of the earth. See, it's the same with light. Light is only effective when it shines in the dark, which is where the world is right now. It's in the dark. And that's why you and I, as God's people, are here to be the light in the dark. You see, so... So God has positioned you and me. I believe strategically positioned you and me. He has sprinkled you and me in our street, in our workplaces, you know, in, in whatever we do and wherever we go, that we may have the opportunity to connect with people who are not yet in his kingdom, who are not yet part of his, his fold. Just like the girl that was at the hospital that I met all those years ago. Maybe she's in his fold today, I don't know. But certainly like this Samaritan woman that Jesus met and spoke to. So I just want to encourage you this morning. And with that encouragement, let me challenge you to prayerfully consider those who are in your circle, your circle of regular contacts that the Lord has placed before you. Be encouraged. Be encouraged to Show and tell the Lord Jesus Christ in that circle of people that God places you in. That's the first thing. The second thing is this that we see about Jesus is that he found a common talking point. A common talking point. You see, the woman was drawing water from a well, the well there. Jesus was tired and he was thirsty. And apart from ignoring all the cultural and the social taboos of a, of a Jewish man talking to a Samaritan woman, who was back in those days, uh, Samaritan women were considered to be unclean all the time. That's the stigma that was attached to Samaritan women back then. So considering all those things, Jesus ignored all that and he simply asked her for a drink. He found a common talking point. Look at verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. So Jesus is there alone with her and he says, Would you give me a drink? Well, he was tired and thirsty. Most of you know that Every Thursday, I go out to the Inagra Barracks and spend the day with the regiment that I'm attached to as an army chaplain. It's an artillery regiment. So I go out there every Thursday, and I can remember one occasion just recently um, where uh, I walked up into the compound where they keep all their equipment. This regiment that I am attached to, they specialise in flying these uh, UAVs or unmanned aerial vehicles, drones. That's their specialty. So I, and I love this equipment. I, I, I'm genuinely interested in the equipment and, and all the, the trucks and the four-wheel drives. I call them big boys' toys. 
and most of you blokes being ordinary blokes you would be. And so I'm up there and I'm looking at this and I'm fascinated by it and there's all these guys that are, you know, there and I'm walking around and I'm talking to them and saying, hey, what are you doing with that? What about that? And they explain things to me. They love the fact that I'm showing interest and it is genuine interest. So I'm talking to one of these guys and then that conversation, I don't even know how it happened now, turned around and he starts talking to me about a funeral of a loved one that he has to attend. And he had to take part in that funeral and he wanted some scripture. He said, I've got to read parts of the Bible, he said. He said, can you suggest any scriptures for me? And so we started to talk about that. And then uh, he, did, he went to the funeral, I, I suppose he did. Uh, and uh, I asked him how it went when I saw him the next time. You know, that's just what, that's just what God does. And the amazing thing is and I think the humbling thing is this that we get to see how the Lord just steps into the ordinary situations and can turn them around to be extraordinary ordinary things he turns into extraordinary and this is and that leads me to the third point that I want to share with you this morning and it's this Jesus listened he waited and then he was able to direct the whole dialogue, that whole conversation towards the things of God, toward the things of himself. He listened, he waited, and he directed the dialogue toward himself. Look at this scripture again. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am, an, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can, you ask for, how can you ask me for a drink? And in brackets it says this, For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And they didn't. Jesus answered her if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink you would have asked him and he would have given you living water sir the woman said you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep where can you get this living water are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself and and so did all his sons and his flocks and his herds and Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And you know, I'm convinced, and I'm, I hope you are too, that when we give ourselves to the Lord in these situations he puts us in, the Lord will do these things through us. When we engage with a person that God has arranged for us to meet, we do, firstly, we need to genuinely listen to them. Take a genuine interest in them and care for that person because you know what? Jesus loves them. Jesus does care for them. He does take a genuine interest in them and so ought we. And then we need to wait for that right moment when God, through you, will gently steer the conversation towards the things of himself. I believe he still does that today. Now, having said that, does that mean then that every conversation I have, that's what happens? No, it doesn't. Let's be realistic. No, it doesn't. But the point is this. The important thing is this, that when you are in a situation like that, that you are willing, 
that you're ready for God to take that conversation where he wants it to go. And he will do it through you. He'll do it through you. And you might go through a situation like that and then at the end of that time say, well, God, I don't think you did much at all there. When you have those situations and you've placed yourself at God's disposal to do those things with you and through you, we need to keep verses of scripture like this in mind. For example, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, it says this, Your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Thank you. Your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Whatever you do for the name of Jesus, he will take and use for his glory. It's never in vain. We have his promise on that. You know, I still wonder today, I wonder today what happened to that girl at the hospital. I wonder what she heard about Christ through someone else before I even spoke to her. You know, I wonder what she heard about Christ after I had spoken to her. You see, in this same passage of Scripture that we have in John chapter 4, we read these words. Jesus says, one sows and another reaps. And there are people who water as well. God uses us all in different ways to touch people for himself. Fourthly, after Jesus had done this, he then exposed her need. He simply opened her up, as it were, her heart, and exposed her need. And what was her need? She was thirsty. She was thirsty. This woman thirsted for something that would truly meet the desperate need that she was in. And she was in a desperate need. John 4:15. the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. And as I said before in the earlier service, I believe on this verse alone is a sermon on its own. Just incredible words that we've just read there. Because I believe that this, what she said, the words of this woman describe exactly how multitudes of people are feeling today. Don't you think? I believe it describes how multitudes of people are living today. They're living. They're thirsty. Nothing's working for them. Nothing I try works for me. I'm still thirsty. When I think I'll be satisfied with this thing, or if only I had that thing, it would make me happy and fulfilled and satisfied. Yet, I'm still coming back to this well because I'm still thirsty. It's not working. All the promises that I see and read about, that if only you had that, if only you had this, it would be all that you'd need. You'd be satisfied. But I'm doing that and I'm finding that I'm still thirsty. When I think, for example, if only I had a relationship with this person, or if I had a relationship with that person, I'd be happy and satisfied. But that's not working out for me either. I'm still thirsty. I'm still coming back to the well for more of the same. It's not working. What's going on? Well, see, it's exactly what Jesus said would happen. And he said it to her. He said, everyone who drinks this water, this water, will thirst again. Let me ask you, have you ever been there? 
where you've been so thirsty. Uh, are you there now? Nothing you're trying is satisfying or quenching that deep inner thirst that you have. All the promises, all the hopes and dreams, you're finding that when you, when you go to that well, you get thirsty again. Yeah, this woman of Samaria was like that. She was thirsty. I believe the girl at the RBH that I spoke to, she was thirsty. And there are so many others that God has placed you and I among who are thirsty. And you know, and we know this, that the only way that they are going to be satisfied and have their deep thirst quenched is when they are introduced to the one who gives living water. It doesn't work apart from him. Try as you may, your thirst will never be quenched. Jesus is the answer, the only answer. And Jesus exposed her need for him. Look what else he says to her. He told her, verse 16, he told her, go call your husband and come back. Her response, I have no husband. And it's interesting as you read the commentaries and you look at this. Here she is, she's been quite, quite talkative with Jesus throughout the whole of her time. And when it comes to this, when Jesus points to that area of her life, it hits her hard touches a raw nerve in her life the sin in her life he exposes that and she says i have no husband her words are few her answer is quite abrupt according to one of the commentaries because you see jesus now exposes the sin in her life which needs to be put right with god before she can partake of this living water that she so desperately needs she needs to own her sin. She needs to own the areas, the issues that Jesus alone can heal and then provide her with that living water. And typically, we see it here in this story and it happens today, typically the flesh nature in us will try to conceal, will try to hide those things in the dark, will try to justify and if that doesn't work, we'll throw it off. We'll divert it to something else. Just like she is doing right here. She's trying to divert the conversation. Take it off me. Put it somewhere else. I'm not comfortable with you looking deep into my heart and seeing that area. And so she diverts it. And you know, again, the magnificent thing is that when you and I are in that place with the Lord Jesus and he's using you to witness of himself to somebody, it won't take you long before you soon realise that you're standing on holy ground here. You know, because this is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not you. It's not your clever arguments. It's not your clever words that's going to do anything in that person's heart. It's the whole work of the Holy Spirit. He does that. There's no human being that can touch the inner person like God does to bring repentance and confession and forgiveness. But here it is, our great privilege is to be that instrument in the master's hand whereby we see these beautiful miracles of God's grace take part when he chooses to use us in that way. Finally, Jesus led this woman to himself and to the living water. Look at those verses again. Verse 25, the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming 
When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Powerful words. I who speak to you am he. Verse 28 says this, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. And you know, I I love the fact that in verse 28, where it says, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back into the town. Um, I love the fact that she left her water jar and went back to tell everyone. And you know, leaving the water jar, she probably did leave it there, possibly, full of water now, so that Jesus could have a drink when she'd gone. Maybe she left it for that reason. But, But I'd like to think that there was something a little bit deeper than that. I kind of wonder if her leaving the water jar and going back to tell others about him was symbolising the fact that she had now discovered that the water she really needed comes not from the well that was built by man, but indeed came from the wells of salvation supplied by God and by himself. Only by God. Where living water is found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder if she discovered that. So excited to realise that the water she'd been drinking does not satisfy this deep inner thirst. But now she found the one who does. He's the living water that she needed. And so excited by that, I think she just left everything behind and she went into town to tell everybody, come and see this man. That's what I reckon. You might have a different view and bless you for that. But you know, this is how Jesus does evangelism, how he did it back then, and I believe how he does it today. That he's chosen to use, mystery of mysteries, he's chosen to use us. He's chosen to use you, he's chosen to use me. To do this, he's chosen us to be his instruments. Folks, to connect And this whole series is about connecting to God, connecting with each other, and to connect people, the ones outside of his kingdom, to connect them, thirsty people, to himself. And I just got this question as I come to a close. I just want to read a quick story afterwards, but I want to to leave you with this question. And it's just simply this. Are you willing to be his instrument? Whereby you're able... To simply, I love the fact that folks, this is simple. How much more simple could you be than to say, did you know that Jesus loves you? It was kind of in the face, but that was how God arranged it back then. But how simple just to tell someone your story, how you met Jesus. Are you willing to be his instrument? I was talking to a a dear friend of mine. Um, His name is Isaac. Um, Isaac was an Iraqi Muslim living in Australia, attending an Australian university. He told me this story only about three weeks ago himself. He told me this three weeks ago. And he was studying at uni and he'd gone out and it was lunchtime or one of those breaks that they had. He was sitting on a piece of grass at the uni in the sun, just sitting on his own. 
And one of the campus crusade people, do they still have them today? I think it was one of them. A campus crusade guy was walking around. He saw Isaac and he walked up to Isaac and he started to talk to Isaac. And, and before long, uh, the, the conversation was about Jesus. And he talked to Isaac about how could you have a name like Isaac and be out of the kingdom of God? He knew, this guy never had a chance. Anyway, so, this, so he's listening. He, he, and, and to paint the whole picture quickly, his whole life was in a mess, right? His relationship with his wife had gone. He was in a mess. He was doing other stuff that he shouldn't have been doing. He was, empty. He was thirsty. Nothing was working for Isaac. So here he is, and this guy's talking about Jesus, just simply. He went home thinking about what this person had said. God's Spirit does that, just plays the tape over in your mind. That's what his Holy Spirit does with his word. And as Isaac thought about that, he said these words. And I, I laughed when I heard him say this to me. He told me personally, he said these words. He said, Jesus, if you are who people say you are, I'm going to give you a go. That was his prayer. He said, I'm going to give you a go. And he did. Several years later, I meet Isaac. Isaac is in full-time Christian ministry as a pastor preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, that's how Jesus does evangelism. And he uses people, ordinary garden variety people like you and me to do it. That's the exciting part. But his Holy Spirit is powerful. The name of Jesus Christ is powerful. Nothing, no one can stand against that name. Hey, let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the privilege of being a simple little vessel that you use. And there are precious brothers and sisters here this morning who are also saying, Lord, thank you for that opportunity that you gave me just not that long ago, where I too had that opportunity just to simply be the salt and be the light and we thank you for the privilege of using us like you do and father we long for as a church we long to reach the thirsty ones that are all around us with the message of the one who gives living water the one the one who can only quench that deep thirst in our hearts that nothing else will so thanks, Lord, for your time with us this morning. Thank you for teaching us, speaking to us. And again, help us, Lord. Help us to be courageous and trust you, even in this day and the rest of this week, that you may choose to use us to speak a word or two, to shine our light, to be salt for you, just like you were yourself to that woman at the well. Help us to be ready, willing and able, by your grace, uh, to be where you want us to be for you. Oh, Lord, we just bless you. We thank you again in your precious name. Amen. Yeah, bless you.